Imagine a poor single mother in 1925 who is living in the southern United States. One day her two-year-old son is out playing on the porch. She hears a car pull up. Before she knows what's happening, the child is gone, taken away to a private adoption agency. The frantic mother goes to court to get her child back, but the court, without any evidence, claims that she is an unfit parent. Not only that, but eventually they take away her other child as well. She is never allowed to see her children again. Unfortunately, this is a common story of legal court-approved child abductions that happened for over 25 years. Today I have the depressing story of Georgia Tan on the 186th episode of Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, one coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am Chip Kelly, your host and storyteller. How's everybody doing out there today? You know, it's been a weird year weather-wise, right? We've had some nice warm days, but the nights, they get cold enough to see your breath, even through August. Very weird. But I'm enjoying it. Good sleeping weather. So, last week I had coffee with a good friend who was also named Jeff. It was sort of coffee with the Jeffs. Jeff is a very smart man, and he gave me a couple of ideas for show topics, including today's, so thanks a lot, Jeff. And I want to apologize for repeating the show last episode. Things got a little hectic, and I had no time to record a new one, but I'm back with something fresh today. But what I've got is a depressing story, so if you don't want to be bummed out, you might want to skip it. It's about an awful woman whose effect on the world is still being felt today. What this lady did to so many people, it's, well, I'll tell you what, let's get right into it. My coffee's hot and I'm ready to talk about someone real bad, very bad. This podcast is part of the PsyCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash PsyCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. Cindy Lopresto discovered that she was separated from her family in 1947 when she was just two years old. She had originally been christened Sandra Lee Bridgewater. But only when Cindy recently found her birth mother, Evelyn Bridgewater, was she able to piece together the sinister events that led up to her adoption. I was playing on the playground and Georgia Tan drove up in her proverbial black limousine. Hello, pretty girl. I'm sure we all know about Joan Crawford and the trouble with her daughter Christina. Christina was adopted by Joan in 1940. You see, Joan couldn't adopt children through normal means. She was denied an adoption by social services for being an unfit candidate in California. So she had to find another way to bring children into her home. In her life, Joan adopted five children. The third and fourth, the twins, Catherine and Cynthia, were adopted in 1947, and they came from a place called the Tennessee Children's Home Society. 
The Tennessee Children's Home Society helped put over 5,000 babies into the homes of wealthy Americans. This story is about just where those children came from and the woman behind this adoption agency. This is the story of one of the biggest child trafficking operations in America. Her name was Beulah George Tan. She was born in 1891 to George Clark Tan and Beulah Isabel in Philadelphia, Mississippi. She was the oldest of two children. Her father was a district court judge who had a domineering personality. She had a classic love-hate relationship with her father that may have influenced her her whole life. Judge Tan wanted her daughter to become a concert pianist and started her in music lessons at age five. The big problem with the judge's plans was that his daughter hated playing the piano. She wanted to be a lawyer just like her father. But in the early 20th century, a female lawyer was unheard of. Her father did his best to talk her out of it. But Georgia insisted and took courses at Columbia University in New York for two summers. And with her father's help, she passed the state bar exam in Mississippi. But being a woman, a career in law wasn't going to happen. So instead, she began doing social work. Early on, an incident happened which may have influenced her for the rest of her life. A young mother who was brought in before the court was addicted to morphine. As was customary at the time, her father had her sent to an asylum. As she was being taken away, she cried out for her baby. They drove to a little shack that she had lived in and found a dirty child who had been drugged, laying in filthy rags. This incident might have had a huge influence on Georgia and her later activities. When she was 15, probably in 1906, a pair of young children, a three-year-old girl and her five-year-old brother, had been left in her father's courtroom. Her father arranged for the children to be placed in the protection of the Mississippi Children's Home Society, which was basically a storage place for orphans. Georgia arranged for the children to be adopted by a respected Mississippi couple, something basically unheard of at the time. Later in 1935, she talked about these two children, saying, The girl now has a degree in music. The boy has finished his law degree and began his practice. Each was given an opportunity and made the most of it. Taking children from the poor and giving to the rich for both the children's benefit and for making lots of cash would become her lifelong obsession. You see, nothing was worse than poverty to Tan. She developed her own theories on society some with a very eugenics twist. She considered wealthy people to be of a higher type, and poor people were incapable of proper parenting. Tan began working at the Mississippi Children's Home Society. Now, at the time, adoptions were not normal. There might have been five babies adopted a year, but when Georgia began working as receiving director, adoption rates went up. The other people who worked at the Mississippi Children's Home Society believed it was best to try to keep children with their birth family. Georgia didn't feel that way. A young, poor, widowed woman named Rose Harvey, who was pregnant and suffering from diabetes, had a two-year-old son named Onyx. One spring morning, while the boy was playing in his back porch, Georgia pulled up in her Model T and tricked the boy into her car. George's father signed the papers that declared Rose an unfit parent and the boy was placed in a foster home. Soon after, Onyx's older brother was also taken and given to the same couple. The heartbroken Rose sued to get her children back but was unsuccessful. 
This, unfortunately, became a common story. But Georgia found in Mississippi, people became angry at what she had done, and she was basically run out of town. So she went to Tennessee to the Tennessee Children's Home Society, an orphanage that operated in the state of Tennessee during the first half of the 20th century. This is where Georgia Tan turned finding babies for the rich into big business. She was able to do what she wished, primarily because she got in good with Edward Hall Crump, better known as Boss Crump. He was the most powerful politician in Tennessee. He also dominated Tennessee state politics for much of the time between 1920 and 1940. It is said that he effectively appointed every mayor in Memphis elected between 1915 and 1954. Crump was the type of man who used, allegedly, not-so-legal practices to clean up Memphis and to lower taxes. He was beloved by the people, but not somebody you wanted to cross. And it was about this time she began having a relationship with a woman named Ann Atwood. The true nature of the relationship was kept secret, but most assume these two financially independent women were in a relationship of marriage. Whether it was sexual or not cannot be confirmed, but it is assumed so. Georgia was definitely the domineering one in the relationship. Tan would say that Anne was her adopted sister as a way to cover what was going on. The unmarried Anne also had an infant son named Jack. Besides Jack, Georgia adopted a girl named June, and by 1925, the four of them were living as a family. Years later, June's daughter Vicky said, Mother said Georgia Tan was a cold fish. She gave her material things, but nothing else. I don't know why she bothered to adopt her. Now, throughout history, the lives of unwanted children were almost always hopeless. In the early 20th century, there were children's asylums, and although some did good, most didn't. Yet even with the good ones, the mortality rate could be as high as 50%. At New York City's Ransdell's Island in 1895, 129 orphans were admitted. Of those, one was adopted, four were reclaimed by their parents, and the rest died. There were also baby farms, homes or apartments where, for a little money, women, who were usually uneducated, took in babies. While some took in periodic payments, those that took in one lump sum had no financial incentive to really care for the children or even keep them alive. There are sad stories of suffocations, drownings, and starvation. And of course, there was the use of children as forced labor. And with a nice insurance policy, the death of a child, let's say, who had been working out in the farmer's field in the hot sun without any water, could bring in a nice paycheck. By the time of Georgia Tan, things had begun to change. People began looking at these little ones as children. Yet there still was a stigma against adoption. Things like eugenics, in which many people believed the genes of the poor were inferior to those of the upper class, kept many from taking in these kids. There was a need for someone like Georgia Tan to reform the orphan situation. But, unfortunately, America got Georgia Tan. In Tennessee, agencies could place children with qualified applicants, but could not sell them. They could, however, charge a fee for their service. The Tennessee Children's Home Society charged about $7 for in-state adoptions. For out-of-state adoptions, 
Tan charged a lot more, and about 80% of her adoptions were to parents in New York and California. Records indicate between 1940 and 1950, the agency placed 3,000 children in just those two states. Tan would send employees to those places to meet with those who wished to adopt. They would write out a check for $700. If we adjust that into $2,019, that's about $17,000. The checks, of course, would be made out to Georgia Tan. In some cases, a fictional background check was added to the expense, one that was never actually done, and there was also a charge for air travel costs that were five times the actual costs. It is thought that Tan kept 80 to 90% of these fees for her own personal use. With all that, and the state of Tennessee itself contributing $61,000 a year to the agency, with 31% of that money going to the Memphis branch, Tan was making some good money. She would also visit local merchants for donations. She would explain how she was saving the taxpayers' money for finding these orphans' parents. Some of the famous people who used Tan to get children were actress Joan Crawford, June Allison and her husband Dick Powell, and the adoptive parents of professional wrestler Ric Flair. New York Governor Herbert Lehman, who would later sign a law sealing the birth certificates from New York adoptees in 1935, also adopted a child through this agency. Making lots of money for finding homes for unwanted children may be unethical, but it might be argued that, well, at least she was helping the children. But the thing was, it was where these children came from that was most disturbing. She had many ways of getting blonde-haired, blue-eyed, young white babies for desperate couples. Oh, Tan only dealt with white babies. By 1924, she had control of almost every local child available for adoption. If you wanted to adopt a child, you had to go through Tan, and if you had the money, you would get what you were asking for. One of her main methods was to dupe or coerce young mothers or parents to give her custody under false pretenses. Unwed mothers who had just given birth let Tan or one of the nurses take away the newborn, claiming that the child was in need of medical care. Later, when the mother had recovered, she would be told that the child had died, when, in fact, the child had been placed in a foster home or adopted. In other cases, mothers were told that the child was stillborn. The mother, knowing it was a lie, would say something like, but I heard my baby cry. She would be told that she was mistaken. Later, when the mother insisted on seeing the body, she would be told that the child had been taken care of and that the cost of the burial was covered by the generous heart of Georgia Tan. Yes, there were nurses that were also under Tan's control. Many mothers signed papers while still under anesthesia after giving birth, having no idea that they had just signed away their child. Alma Simple, one of Tan's victims, described her as a stern-looking woman with close-cropped gray hair, round wireless glasses, and an air of utter authority. As unbelievable as it seems, kidnapping was one of her main methods for getting children. She would grab them right from a nursery school. Evelyn Quinlan, who had a four-year-old daughter taken away by Tan at a child care center, said, I prayed constantly that she was still alive. 
Imagine a parent dropping their child off at an orphanage because the family was experiencing illness or unemployment, only to find out later that the orphanage had adopted them out and had no record of the child ever being placed there. Harry Wagerman, a German immigrant who spoke no English, signed a paper thinking it would provide temporary care for a six-year-old daughter. Tan quickly sent the child to a family in Illinois. Harry attempted to go through the courts to get his child back, but to no avail, as Tan had most of the local judges, politicians, and other authorities under her control. Wagerman never saw his daughter again. Tan also arranged for the taking of children born to the inmates at the Tennessee Mental Institution and those born to wards of the state through her connections. She could tell a convincing lie. There was a story of Edward Russell, a 31-year-old divorce man with three children. He was unemployed and was going to California to look for work. He made the mistake of asking Tan to look after his kids until he got settled. He remembered her telling him, We will send them to you immediately after you establish yourself and can take care of them. Once he had work in California, he called wanting Tan to send his kids like she promised. She said that they were in good health and in good hands. Months of calling her provided no results. He quit his job and returned to Memphis. Tan told him that she thought it was best to keep his kids. He was stunned. He would beg her to see them, and she flat out refused. The lawyer he hired didn't get them back either. He said later, I had no reason to think she would trick me. I admired her. She seemed so interested in my case. She had a kind, soothing voice, and I trusted her. I could go on with sad, depressing stories of heartbroken parents, mothers and fathers who had signed over their children thinking it was only temporary, believing in Tan's lies, who never saw their kids again. Young children just snatched up from the roadside and the corrupt courts who wouldn't allow parents any justice. Now, much of the story is from a book called The Baby Thief, the untold story of Georgia Tan, the baby seller who corrupted adoption, by Barbara Blitzance Raymond. If you want to hear many tales that seem unbelievable, stories that are very disheartening, that make you want to say to yourself, there is no way a person could be this horrible, I advise you to read the book. I found it at my local library. But the question is, how could she get away with this for over 25 years? You see, not only was she cold, but she was also very smart. She knew the law and got many people under her control. Everyone from the aforementioned Boss Crump to Memphis family court judge Camille Kelly. She also destroyed and hid records. Many of the files of the children were fictionalized before being presented to the adoptive parents, which covered up the child's circumstances prior to being placed with the society. Judge Kelly sanctioned Tan's tactics and activities, saying that she provided homes better able to provide for children's care. Of course, many children who were placed in homes were used as child labor on farms or with abusive families. Allegedly, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse and even murder of the adoptees were present in some of these homes. Now, to be fair, many children had happy experiences with their new family, and the families loved them very much. But, of course, this doesn't make the story any less horrible. She would actually put ads in the newspaper advertising children 
that she was basically selling. There would be a picture of a young, cute boy with the headline, Yours for the asking. George wants to play catch but needs a daddy to complete the team. Or a baby girl with the line, Nancy, just 11 months old, needs home. Can you say no? Georgia Tan was very popular and well-respected in the country and traveled in elite political circles. She enjoyed a lavish lifestyle and was widely respected in the community, counting among her friends prominent families, politicians, and legislatures. Eleanor Roosevelt sought her counsel regarding child welfare. Pearl Buck asked her to collaborate on a book about adoption. She received a personal invitation to President Truman's inauguration. Tan was thought of as a hero, the one who reformed adoption in America. But there's some more shocking news, something that'll bring you down a little bit more. There were the tales of unadoptable children. They were the ones who suffered the most. Many were drugged and starved by Tan and her employees. Medical treatment was never offered for those who needed it, even with recommendations by doctors. No one knows how many died in her care. Many were buried in unmarked graves without death certificates. Even those who were desirable weren't safe. Many reported later that they had been repeatedly assaulted by Tam and her employees, often strung up by the wrist while punished or sexually molested. It is estimated that Georgia Tan stole up to 5,000 babies and placed them into new homes and made her a millionaire in the process. But her empire began to crumble when social workers noticed that the infant mortality rate was extremely high in the area, a lot higher than the national average. This led to an investigation. By this time, children of adoption began looking for help, as well as parents who lost their children to her, so it was inevitable that the truth would come out. Unfortunately, Georgia Tan would never have to answer for her crimes. She would die of cancer just three days before charges were to be filed. Her 25 years of abuse would go unpunished. The Tennessee Children's Home Society would be shut down not too much after. Soon after the information was made public, Judge Camille Kelly, whom I should point out is no relative of mine, was forced to resign. She was never prosecuted. Herbert H. Lehman, who had adopted a child from Tan, as governor of New York, signed a law sealing the birth records from New York adoptees in 1935. It had been speculated that sealing the records was good for his own adopted children as well as other New York adoptees. This, however, prevented thousands from finding their true families to this day. There are still people looking. Now, in a spot where 19 victims of Tan are believed to be buried, there is now a tombstone. It reads... In memory of the 19 children who finally rest here, unmarked if not unknown, and to all the hundreds who died under the cold, hard hand of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, their final resting place unknown, their final piece of blessing, the hard lesson of their fate changed adoption procedures and law nationwide. Well, tonight's story is about babies right here in the United States, in Memphis, Tennessee, in the 1940s, who were taken from their parents and not just handed over to other couples, but sold to other couples with the connivance of a corrupt judge. Steve Popper was one of those babies. 
He was born in 1943, but was taken from his mother the moment she gave birth. She searched for her son ever since, and now those years of waiting and wondering are finally about to be over. On board flight 403, arriving at the Memphis airport, is her son, now 48 years old, a son she has never met. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. A little bit before I go, if there was a bright side to the story, it is that it brought attention to the problem of orphans in America. Yet it still sucks. I think every daytime talk show has had a person who was searching for their parents or kids due to what this lady did. Very few actually find who they're looking for. In popular media, there was Missing Children, a mother's story from 1982 about a mother whose children were taken away, and Stolen Babies from 1993 in which Mary Tyler Moore plays Georgia Tan. It was also featured on such shows as Investigating Discovery series Deadly Women and Unsolved Mysteries. And of course, like I said, a lot of the show was from the book the Baby Thief, the untold story of Georgia Tan, the babyseller who corrupted adoption by Barbara Blitzance Raymond. And I hope I pronounced Barbara's name right. Anyway, how about the ending credits? Hey, listen, you want to help us out? We are really in the need for cash to keep these podcasts going. Why don't you be one of the good people and support the show by visiting SciCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the show. Speaking of SciCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find many amazing podcasts. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome, and you can use any of these places to help me out. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin to help financially, just go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars. Those really help. And remember, all the links to the sources that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, to my wife of 35 years for being my wife of 35 years, Jeff Hinkins for suggesting today's topic, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to everybody who reposts this on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.
she drank tea, but that was okay. She was the dawn of just new day. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, my coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, my coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled with change. Sometimes your plans get rearranged. He's seen it all and he's weathered it too. So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. I'll call you with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee and coffee with Jeff Yeah.